Hello, and thank you for joining us for the fifth installment in our Leaving LIBOR series. I'm Greg Geffen, head of J.P. Morgan's North America Corporate Interest Rate Derivatives Business and the host of today's podcast. Joining me today are a number of my colleagues who have been thought leaders in this arena. I'm joined by Patricia Devine, head of corporate banking in North America for J.P. Morgan, Ben Kinney, J.P. Morgan's global co-head of interest rate sales, and Tom Pluta, J.P. Morgan's global head of linear rates and co-head of North America rates trading. As we sit here in mid-March, we're only a bit more than a year away from the end of U.S. dollar LIBOR. Today, we'll reflect on the progress made so far. We will discuss how markets are adjusting to SOFR as the new benchmark and where clients should be focused in the time ahead of LIBOR cessation. We have a lot to cover in the next 20 minutes, so let's jump right in. Tom, my first question is for you. A lot happened at the end of 2021. Can you give us a quick reminder of the key events and where we find ourselves today? Sure. Thanks, Greg. December 31st was a big milestone date in the LIBOR transition. It was the cessation date for four of the five LIBOR markets. So sterling, yen, Swiss, and euro LIBOR are no more. And the vast majority of any outstanding contracts in those markets now fixed to the designated fallbacks. In the case of sterling and yen, for the portion of contracts that are considered tough legacy, for a one-year period through the end of this year, they will fix to a synthetic LIBOR, which is calculated and published by Benchmark Administration. So it gives an extra year for those markets to restructure and unwind the more complex trades that don't have good fallbacks or agree on an appropriate fallback. Moving over to US dollar LIBOR, as you mentioned, the cessation date is not until June 30th of 2023, so another 15 months. But as of December 31st, the clear regulatory guidance is for no new LIBOR contracts or dealing. So this means that any LIBOR trading that is done now is for risk reduction purposes only. So for example, in the derivatives markets, conversion of LIBOR portfolios to SOFR, unwinding trades, compressing portfolios of trades, or hedging LIBOR fixing risks are all permitted use cases in this risk reduction concept. So as a result, there's been a really rapid shift off of LIBOR and onto SOFR across both cash and derivative markets in late 2021, and it continued in early 2022. Maybe, Tom, a second question for you. In our last podcast, you talked about the success of the SOFR First initiatives, which came about late last year. Has SOFR liquidity continued to build across all derivative products? Yeah, so there were three SOFR First dates orchestrated in the OTC markets between July and November of last year for interest rate swaps, cross-currency swaps in developed markets, and then swaptions, caps, and floors. And these were a big success. So essentially, at each of these dates, the interbank markets, the dealers shifted the vast majority of their volumes from LIBOR to SOFR, and then customer volumes followed soon after that. Now, in 2022, we have between 90 and 100%, almost all of new business in these flow OTC markets across products now on SOFR with very little LIBOR trading, and most of that, again, being for the risk reduction purposes that I described. The one market that is an exception and something we very much expected is the exchange-traded futures and options market, so essentially euro-dollar markets. This market has been a laggard as the market structure is different. The main market makers aren't the bank dealers, and it's also an anonymous market. So those volumes have been a little slower to shift. But even so, the SOFR volumes are steadily climbing, and we just recently hit SOFR having 50% of the market share 
in the interest rate futures contract. So that's progressing and that'll keep steadily moving ahead. So not at all worried about that. I guess outside of that, one other area would be cross-currency swaps where it's US dollar against an emerging market currency. Those are kind of transitioning at a little bit of a slower pace and it's idiosyncratic by market. But overall, I'm very happy with how quickly the derivatives markets have shifted to SOFR. Ben, maybe turning to you, how have markets taken from your perspective to having no new LIBOR dealing in 2022? Interested to understand what's been the feedback from clients? Where do you feel like we've struggled or seen issues? Just kind of a broader perspective. Sure. And I think that segues nicely from what Tom was speaking to. The SOFR first initiatives last year really helped quite a bit. The biggest pockets of our market really had significant momentum going into 2022. And most of our clients were fairly well set up. That doesn't mean that there weren't areas that we were, we thought would, we'd struggle to transition. And you know, I think we've all been pleasantly surprised by how those pockets of the market have transitioned. You know, as Tom said, the guidance for after January 1st is that clients, if they're trading in LIBOR-based instruments, need to be doing so to reduce risk and not adding risk. And by and large, we think that's been the case. We are not on a transaction by transaction basis confirming with clients at this stage that those trades are risk reducing. We all understand the spirit of the rules and the direction of travel. We've had significant client conversations with, with the vast majority of our clients around how we're approaching this. And everybody, as I said, thought it was a thoughtful approach and has been aiming to act in the spirit of the guidance. The places where there have been friction in the markets have been pockets of the vol market. You know, particularly the upper left of the vol grid has been a little bit slower to transition. When I say slow, it's just that part of the market's seized up a bit or was seized up a bit for the beginning of the year when, when rates were moving quite a bit. And that was a challenge. And then pockets of the exotic derivative market, particularly light exotics, have been a little bit slower to transition as well. But on the whole, I think clients have been acting in the spirit of what the guidance is around risk reduction and have very quickly transitioned parts of their book, their portfolios early this year that hadn't transitioned prior to the start of the year. One, I think, kind of interesting stat was last week for the first time, the notional of SOFR swaps that was traded in the market was higher than that of LIBOR-based swaps. We have done significant risk-reducing trades in LIBOR swaps over the course of the first couple of months of the year. So that was artificially boosting LIBOR-based derivative notionals. Well, last week, like I said, the notional trade in SOFR swaps or SOFR derivatives was higher than that of LIBOR-based derivatives. And I think it's a sign that the transition is really taking at this stage. So maybe a little bit more on that topic too, Ben. You mentioned a number of clients have already moved portfolios. But if I'm a client with a LIBOR portfolio that hasn't yet been addressed, how should I think about that ahead of cessation next year, You know, particularly balancing the protocol versus restructuring the portfolio proactively ahead of that? I think a lot depends upon how actively you anticipate turning your portfolio over. As we move forward in time, we're going to find that LIBOR-based derivatives become significantly less liquid than SOFR-based derivatives. So if you have a portfolio that you anticipate turning over in the coming two, three years, then I would suggest moving those portfolios to SOFR sooner than later. I think that time at which LIBOR-based derivatives are eclipsed in liquidity profile by SOFR-based derivatives is actually coming relatively quickly, particularly in linear derivatives. In nonlinear space, it will take a little bit longer, but I would say that if you have a portfolio that you anticipate turning over, you should try to keep it as liquid as possible. The transaction cost for those transitions is quite quite minimal. We've seen very large portfolios already transition, although I wouldn't say that it's done on a wholesale basis at this stage. We're seeing corporates look at the transition. And I think kind of the message here is you don't want to be the last one to the party to transition your portfolio. 
Now, if you don't anticipate your portfolio turning over at all, and it's going to be a static portfolio, and you've signed the protocol, and this is one of the key messages we've been sending out for quite some time, is that you really do want to adhere to the fallback protocol, then maybe you don't feel the urgency to transition. But I think that depending upon the nature of your book, you should be looking to transition sooner than later so that you're not the last one sitting holding a bunch of LIBOR derivatives. So Trish, maybe turning to you, let's talk a little bit about the loan market. So in the last installment of this podcast late last year, we talked about how the SOFR loan market was starting to develop, but that there were a number of other rates at the time that also were contending to be a piece of that market. How have things developed over the past few months and where do you see things going from here? Thanks, Greg. So you're right. There was some speculation, I guess, late last year, but I would say that the transition to SOFR has really kicked off well in the loan market since the beginning of the year. Some of that being because, you know, new or refinanced US dollar loans cannot use LIBOR, right? So to give you a sense, 95% of the volume year to date has referenced SOFR, and that's based on the global leverage finance market. And that's info that our JP Morgan Global Credit Research has published. But I would say there is a similar trend in the investment grade market as well. To take that one step further, we see the CME term SOFR as really the preferred convention globally for these U.S. dollar loans. And as many folks are aware, those are quoted in one month, three, six, and 12-month tenors. I would say what's an evolving market practice is the credit spread adjustment. And that's been an item that is factored into borrowers and thinking about timing and determining whether they remediate or ultimately refinance their LIBOR deals to SOFR. But a couple of things on that. One, the Spot spreads for both the one month and the three month between LIBOR and SOFR have significantly below the five-year historical averages, right? So as borrowers have been evaluating what to do, those spreads have moved. And then the other data point I would reference is of those same number of deals in the market that I referenced earlier, which were 112 two-thirds or so have referenced some CSA. Only a third, right, would not have CSA, and many of those may have just included it in the spread. So it's evolving, but definitely an important focal point for borrowers. Tom, along the same line, so with the market shifting very heavily to term SOFR, how have we seen this market evolve in the derivative space? Term SOFR derivatives have very specific permitted use cases as recommended by the ARC and in accordance with the terms of the CME licensing agreement. Specifically, term SOFR derivatives can only be used to hedge a corresponding term SOFR cash product or portfolio cash product. So the biggest users that we've seen are loan hedgers that are paying fixed and receiving term SOFR. We did do the first term SOFR swap last summer and have done many of these since. We're market leader in the space. We provide great liquidity in this product. So if you have interest in doing that kind of hedge, please talk to us. Trish, maybe a similar question to what I asked Ben in a derivative context, but in a loan context. If I'm a client with a legacy LIBOR deal, how and when should I think about remediating these contracts? So look, I think every borrower needs to think about it in the context of their own objectives. Obviously, with the cessation just a little bit over a year away, we would argue definitely don't wait to the end. Any modification amendments to your agreements can take a while and you don't want to be caught too close to that. Having said that, there are other reasons to think about potentially renewing, amending, et cetera. And I think we would recommend clients review the language. If they have, you know, vintage 
vintage fallback language. They may have terms that, again, given what we discussed as it relates to the LIBOR SOFR curves, could be more advantageous in redoing today and not referencing some of the CSA language that they could have in their existing agreement. So we would recommend they stay very coordinated with their financial institutions, obviously JP Morgan included in that, and watch the market and particularly stay focused on the evolving conditions because in many cases, the market that you know today is at least more defined than, than the one you don't in the future. So Ben, it's interesting because all of this is happening alongside what may be a substantial move in interest rates, both in the US and globally. So as we think about that, how should clients be looking at the transition from LIBOR to SOFR in the context of a rising rate environment? So yeah, it's been a very active start to the year in the rates market, to say the least. And you've seen quite a bit of rate volatility delivered. I think the good news is that SOFR has behaved exactly as we thought it would. It tracks a trillion dollar repo market. And as rates have moved around, it really has behaved exactly as we would have anticipated as we would have modeled it out. So it suggests that it's a very, very robust rate. I think we should be pleased by what we've seen, at least in the beginning stages of the transition to what appears to be a new rate regime. Trish, anything you would add to that in terms of the impact of clients around transition as it relates to a rising rate environment? Well, I just think, again, keeping watch of those curves, right? Because at certain points in time, it may be more or less favorable to the borrowers. As of right now, the for three and six month tenors, having a CSA of 15 or 25 or even flat 10 is still favorable to the borrowers. So I think that's something for them to consider. So Tom, since our last podcast, the Sherman Bill has passed through Congress. What benefits do you see this bringing to the marketplace? Sure. So the House and the Senate have just passed the federal LIBOR legislation with strong bipartisan support. This is really great news for the market. Essentially, this legislation covers the tough legacy portion of the dollar LIBOR market that's not covered by robust fallbacks. Most of these are bonds and securitizations. And while it's just about 1% of the total LIBOR market, it still adds up to about $2 trillion in contracts. And essentially, it allows for these contracts to fix to SOFR plus a credit spread, and it avoids the need for lenders to choose a replacement rate, the time-consuming negotiations that would be involved with that, and even potentially disputes with clients or litigation. The legislation provides a safe harbor, essentially, from litigation if SOFR is chosen. Other benefits, I guess I would highlight, is that it gives this certain outcome in these cases, so people know what happens to their contracts post-June of 2023. And then finally, it really gives fairness and equality because everyone's receiving the same rate. You're not going to have picking and choosing of, of different rates in different situations. So again, really good news and a big step forward for the LIBOR transition. So we've covered a lot of ground in a short period of time. There's no doubt a ton of information for everyone to be thinking about. I would ask each of you as a closing of the podcast, can you each give one key takeaway that our clients should be thinking about? Trish, maybe we'll start with you. Okay. So. Start early rather than waiting to the end. Those were some of the lessons learned from the non-USD remediation that happened last year. And I would say really review and understand the dynamics of your credit facilities and particularly the fallback language so clients can be nimble and move if and when they desire. Great. Ben? I guess I'll reiterate maybe a little bit what I said earlier and follow on with what Trish commented on. We've spent the last 
many years prepping for this transition and building models and understanding rate performance or building out rates. We're now to the moment where actually you want to be considering action with your portfolio. And to Trisha's point, don't wait, I would say for derivatives portfolios, understanding the nature of your book and understanding the nature of your portfolio and how you anticipate it evolving over the coming years. I would begin the transition process if you haven't already to make sure that your portfolio has moved to SOFR so that you're not stuck in an illiquid position that you can't unwind or the cost to unwind that is much higher than you anticipate. So as I said, like we're now at the point where I think action makes sense for derivatives portfolios. And putting my sales hat on for a sec, at JP Morgan, we're very well positioned to help help in the transition. We've spent a lot on systems over the last few years. Our teams can help model and transition portfolios in a uh, fairly expedient way. So don't, don't hesitate to reach out to your JP Morgan sales rep if you've got something you want to talk about. Tom, last but not least. I would emphasize that there's no uncertainty left in the LIBOR transition. The dates have been set. The fallbacks are in place. Products are available and liquid. Cash markets have already transitioned and derivatives markets are as liquid or more liquid than that in the rapidly dwindling LIBOR derivatives market. The other point I would make, it's kind of on the back of what Ben said, I think with derivatives, most clients are going to reach a point where they just don't want to manage an existing legacy portfolio of LIBOR derivatives alongside a growing portfolio of SOFR derivatives. And in fact, many clients have passed that point already. So think about when you want to convert the portfolio from LIBOR to SOFR and just move forward while things are, are liquid in both markets. Trish, Ben, Tom, a big thanks to all of you for taking the time to share your views on the broader landscape. Also, a very big thank you to all of our listeners. We hope you take a lot away from today's podcast. I'd say the overarching goal here is that we want all of our clients to feel well-informed and prepared for the transition away from LIBOR. And I'd echo Ben's comments in that we'd encourage all of you to connect with your JP Morgan coverage teams to make sure you understand the impact on your organization. With that, thank you all again for joining us, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is intended for institutional clients only, and the views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of JP Morgan Chase and Company and its affiliates, together JP Morgan, and do not constitute research or recommendation, advice or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any security or financial instrument. Reference products and services in this podcast may not be suitable for you and may not be available in all jurisdictions. JP Morgan may make markets and trade as principal in securities and other asset classes and financial products that may have been discussed. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclosures.